Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQD in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. When we remake an environment for our human selves, most creatures don't stick around, but others decide that they like what we've done with the place. There's something amazing about the creatures that live alongside us in our cities. They're not really wild, nor are they feral, and they're most certainly not pets. They're, I don't know, fellow urbanites? But not everyone feels this way, at least not about all the animals. And we'll check in on one city that has a new plan to drive away its crows. And yes, it involves lasers. Lasers and the recorded cries of dead birds. And then we check in on the troubled Millennium Tower as engineers work towards fixing the sinking building. That's all next, after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. The city of Sunnyvale is an extremely pleasant place to live. The climate varies from sunny, warm, and nice to slightly less sunny, warm, and nice. It's diverse and quite central, sitting between San Jose and the Mid-Peninsula, and it's very safe. Perhaps for these reasons, not only humans want to live there. Over the past few years, an increasing number of crows has begun to take up residence in the downtown creating noise and befouling the city streets. Even though they're not rats nor pigeons, which I think everyone agrees are terrible, the city wants to do something, really anything, about this murder of crows, short of the actual murder of crows. Joining us to talk about the birds and the humans, we have Alyssa Cisneros, vice mayor of the city of Sunnyvale. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate being on. We're also joined by John Marsluff, a wildlife biologist and specialist in crow behavior at the University of Washington. Welcome, John. Thanks very much. And we have Dan Brecky, our own editor and reporter here at KQED News, who's written about crow life in the Bay Area. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Alexis. Uh, Alyssa, I want to start with you. Tell us what's going on in Sunnyvale, just about the birds, not about the solutions yet, but just, you know, what have you observed as a resident and civic leader in Sunnyvale about the crows? Sure. So I grew up in Sunnyvale. 
So this hasn't been something that has been um, a pressing issue uh, always. This is more of a, a recent development that is accumulated over time. Uh, when I was running for office, uh, you know, I'd ask my neighbors, what is of major concern to you? And, you know, you get the, the more normal answers. It's really expensive to live here. Traffic isn't great. And then there are a lot of crows. And, and that... <laughs> like, and, would you say it was <laughs> actually number three on the list of things in Sunnyvale? <clears throat> it was up there. You know, I didn't take a tally mark, but it was something that I heard with increasing regularity, mm -hmm. especially because I was running to represent the downtown area where I also live. And when I heard people talk about this, I could easily say, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, I live in an apartment complex that abuts the Caltrain track, so I'm no stranger to noise pollution, but in the evenings and for a good part of the year, the noise from the crows really rivaled the trains in terms of how much noise came into my apartment. Uh, and then, of course, the pandemic hit. Uh, our restaurants downtown uh, we're suffering. So we closed off the street to cars. And so people could eat outside. Mm -hmm. And so that attracted more crows. And so because of the, the food on the tables and stuff, you, you the presume. food, the people being out. Um, and then I started hearing more complaints uh, from business owners <laughs> saying that mm -hmm. this is not uh, helping us function downtown. And then public transit riders too. Uh, there are, are trees that cover our transit stops, allowing people to sit in the shade comfortably to wait for public transit, but they often couldn't sit there because of uh, <laughs> uh, bird feces. So it. It, so it was just this wide range of, of people who were being affected in different ways and hearing these different stories. And so I decided, okay, well, the city needs to figure out, you know, what's going on here because... It's not so much that there are crows. I don't think any any of us have a problem with the bird itself, but there's just so, so many of them. Uh, Vice Mayor Cisneros, have you um, considered cutting a deal with them? Yes. <laughs> like, it, have you considered making friends with the crows, right? I mean, I know that they're, uh, it's, you've got to do something, but what's the path that you've tried to take here? So there have been a number of different creative attempts. Uh, so we we put, of course, because we're a city and, you know, like any city, especially during the pandemic, it's been financially tough. So let's try the, the you know, path of least resistance, the least expensive options on the off chance that that's what's going to do it. So, of course, we had um, reflectors up in the trees downtown uh, did basically nothing. Uh, so, okay. Uh, then one of the local businesses took it upon themselves to hire a falconer to, to have a trained bird circle the area and try to discourage the crows and to make them feel less safe in this area. It really didn't do a whole lot. Um, so they actually brought like a, the person who puts on the big thick glove and they stick their arm out and they bring out this, this bird and they did that, that whole routine. Yeah, exactly. But the city didn't pay for that. That was a, a business owner who, who had gotten so frustrated that he was like, I'm taking this, uh, this matter into my own hands. And they reported that it, it actually wasn't very helpful. So 
we're, we're exploring other kind of low cost options first, but the point of me bringing a, a study issue formally to the city, asking city staff, hey, this is actually a complicated problem. Mm-hmm. We need to intentionally look at different solutions. I know other cities have uh, dealt with similar things. We're not unique in Sunnyvale with, a, with, with the number of murders of pros we have. So let, let's see what other people do and, and what could be the most effective way. Yeah. So that's where we're at right now. Uh, Dan Brecky, editor and reporter, KQD News. You've written about some of these things before. And is it actually true that there are more crows in Bay Area cities than there were before? Or is it just for some reason we're noticing them more or, you know, whatever other uh, explanation there might be? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, we tend to notice, uh, you know, things that change in our environment. And this is one that has changed. Um, if you go back over the Christmas bird counts for uh, different uh branches of the Audubon Society here in the Bay Area, they do show a pretty steady increase uh, starting around 1990. Um, There were very few crows recorded um, before that, uh, relatively speaking. You don't know whether that was because, um, you know, the people involved in the bird counts didn't think crows were worth counting, but they're really very few. But something changed around 1990 or so. And then again, around 2000, um, I will say that in the South Bay, there are three counts uh, that the Audubon Society down there does um, in the Santa Clara Valley. And those numbers have actually stayed pretty steady uh, since 2009. So, you know, anywhere between 2,500 and 3,500 crows have been captured during those those, uh, Christmas bird counts. So, you know, Uh, I think what happens, though, is that um, I noticed this when uh, KQED moved to downtown San Francisco temporarily before the pandemic. Um, If you walk down Mission Street over to the to the bay, to the Embarcadero, there was a pretty healthy crow roost over there with many of the same issues that uh, uh, Vice Mayor Cisneros is uh, is talking about. Yeah. You have you noticed listeners out there an uptick of crows in your area? We also want to know, how do you coexist with the urban wildlife, especially crows? Do you try and make friends, provide small offerings, or do you battle them for that uh, city space? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQD Forum, or you can email your comments and observations and questions to forum at kqed.org. So John Marsleff, wildlife biologist and specialist in crow behavior at the University of Washington, if we believe that we're seeing at least a small uptick and perhaps a locally quite heavy uptick of crow activity in our cities, what could explain that to, in, in your mind? It's pretty simple, really, why the, why the birds have increased. And, it, and it, they have increased across the western U.S. in general. Uh, it's two things. One, food resources uh, that we've provided and as we've increased our population and gathered in more predictable places, uh, the birds have more reliable food sources. And secondly, the, the change in habitats that we've done as we've built out from cities, uh, which offers some you know, shelter and food for crows, but suburbs especially and agricultural areas surrounding them provide lots of food and suburbs lots of nesting opportunities 
for territorial birds to, to live, reproduce, and further increase the population. You know, when I think of cities long ago, or even really up into the 1960s, I think of that ring of parks around the Bay Area. Uh, there's, there's something kind of similar up in Seattle, which used to be landfills, yep. open landfills. And I would imagine, you know, Dan pointed this out in his article too, I would imagine that that was a tremendous food source for crows. Um, is it that there weren't as many crows to sort of take advantage of that in urban areas at that time? Well, that's part of it for sure. I mean, um, the, it's the mix of resources close together that really drives crows. So having food is one thing, but you also have to have places to, to nest, trees, or perhaps buildings. They nest somewhat on buildings, but mostly trees. And they're territorial, so they defend space. So you don't need just one clump of trees. You need them spread out all over to really increase the population, chunks here and there. And that's what we've done when we've uh, when we've built suburban areas. Yeah, you know, one of my questions, John, for you is how wide the range of crows is. Like, if, let's say they are roosting downtown Sunnyvale. Like, what's the area that they're covering there? It's obviously not just you know within the territory of Sunnyvale. For sure, yeah, and it varies from place to place. But roosts are picked by crows to be kind of central. So just like with us, minimizing commuting distances for all the birds that, that live there. So they, they might go, some of the birds might be territorial nearby, but others may go 30 or 40, maybe 50 miles uh, to, a, to a rich foraging site, like, for example, a landfill or, um, or a, a very productive agricultural field. Wow. See uh, Vice Mayor Cisneros, I told you, it's actually about the central location of Sunnyvale, both for humans and for crows. <laughs> when we get back, uh, Vice Mayor, we're going to talk about some of the proposed solutions. And we've got a lot of people who want to talk about it, both in the comments and on the phones. We're talking about the crow invasion of Sunnyvale with Alyssa Cisneros, Vice Mayor of the city of Sunnyvale. John Marsleff, wildlife biologist and a specialist in crow behavior at the University of Washington. And of course, we also have Dan Brecky editor and reporter with KQED News. And we do want to hear from you if you've noticed an uptick of crows in your area, how you coexist with urban wildlife. Probably, phones are full, so probably better to get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum, or you can email forum at kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum and Crows after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal, and those are crows. We're talking about the crow invasion of Sunnyvale with Alyssa Cisneros, vice mayor of the city of Sunnyvale, John Marsleff, wildlife biologist and specialist in crow behavior at the University of Washington, and Dan Brecky, editor and reporter at KQED News. We also had a little Easter egg for you on the uh, out music on the other side of the break. That was from the crow soundtrack. 
So just strap on your Doc Martens uh, and get ready for a little more Crow Talk. Um, Alyssa Cisneros, what are some of the things that you're thinking about? You know, there's a big article in the New York Times about some of your strategies, including these lasers. So can you tell us how that would actually work? Yeah, the laser idea. um, Well, one, it's one of the uh, suggestions from the Humane Society. They have a whole paper about humane crow abatement. And so uh, there was that. And then also we heard from residents who were their homes were were starting to be invaded by murders of crows. and, And they had used green laser pointers to uh, annoy them enough to where they would would leave and then sometimes leave um, on a more permanent basis. So these laser pointers cost about $20. Uh, so when you're talking about a city budget, that that feels really good. Uh, mm-hmm. So we are... So we're talking about like the kind of laser pointer that you would make a cat chase or that like a kid would shine in your eyes to annoy you. Ever so slightly more advanced, but yes. Okay. And, and so we, within the next couple of weeks, some city employees are, are going to go out and just pilot and see what happens when you shine these lasers directly at crows. And we're going to see what happens because it's kind of low hanging fruit in terms of solutions. Something else the city is, is considering starting as another low hanging fruit solution is, can we use crow distress calls uh, to, you know, start the process of letting them know that this may not be the, the safest place to be and, and encourage them to disperse. Uh, but those are the two main areas where even as we're waiting for the more thorough study for, from the city, it's like, well, if one of these works, then you know maybe we can, we can be done with that. But yeah. it's my guess, my personal guess, that it's going to take a little bit more than that and I really look forward to hearing from our talented city staff about, you know, what are our options here, of course, uh, including the input from from experts, people who really know about crows. I'm a, you know, I'm a policy professional. I'm a professor of political science. Like, I'm not an expert on crows. So <laughs> I'm going to lean I'm going to lean on experts to, to yeah. help to, to help tell us what the best, most humane way to do to solve this problem is. Uh not everyone agrees with this solution, obviously. Uh, Patricia no, they Will- certainly don't. Yeah, Patricia Wilburn <laughs> writes, As a lover of this listener, uh, as a lover of crows and of all birds, I object to this ridiculous idea of pointing lasers at them in order to get them to leave an area that is now highly frequented by humans. It causes one to wonder how many generations of crows have been visiting those trees and about all of the terrible things that they've had to endure as one by one their fields and trees are plowed up and covered with parking lots, businesses, and massive swaths of housing, of which there will never be enough due to the influx of people and corporations who are driving out-of-control development statewide. Another one kind of in the same vein, uh, Julie uh, Frymouth writes, Come on, really? The problem of crows is an issue? Crows have lived here longer than people have. They are curious, smart, and endearing. Let's get back to integrating our lives with the natural world. Let's focus on real problems. This is a, quote, rich people issue. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to ask about that I think is, is really interesting before we go to the phones, John Marsloff, have the crows really been living there for much longer than we have? Or are we actually sort of co-evolving the environment into a space that crows would also like to be? A little bit of both, Alexis. Um, certainly crows were there. They, they've been in the in North America for 
10 million years or so. So well, well before us, uh, but whether they were using that particular area was probably not to the degree that they are, uh, again, because of our planting of trees and, and dicing up the environment and providing extra resources, the birds have uh, increased there and, and certainly have taken over that place more than they have in the past. Yeah. Let's bring in Dean from Palo Alto. Welcome, Dean. Hi there. Just wanted to uh, suggest a couple things. One that is not humane that I witnessed in Singapore. My wife and I were sitting in a downtown park a few years ago and all of a sudden heard several loud bangs. It was the park service with shotguns trying to call the extreme population of crows. Hmm. What we're doing in Palo Alto in my neighborhood, because my kids and myself are woken up at about 5.15 most days from I don't know how many murders of crows, but it's really, <laughs> it's, it sounds hilarious, but and sounds like a rich person's problem, which we aren't, but it, it is really being inundated, or we are being inundated in downtown Palo Alto. Hmm. And we are playing a recording of Hawks. Uh, you can find it. I'm, I don't make any money off this, but it's called Crow Be Gone. And I'm sure you create your own Hawk recordings as well. And we play it out the window, and it seems to help a bit. Yeah. You get to sleep into six now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, hey, thanks for that uh, suggestion, Dean. Let's uh, go right to uh, Jim in Sunnyvale, and then John Marsloff. We're going to ask you about some of these solutions. Uh, welcome to the show, Jim. Hi. I was wondering what we're doing to control the food source. Given that they seem so centered in downtown, seems to me they're going after food in the dumpsters, the trash cans, something like that. Is that being considered? And if I could just address some of those earlier comments, it is big. It's way worse than it's been before. Been here 30 years. Uh, it's, it's apocalyptic how many crows they are. I've seen them attacking other birds. They're not good. We need to do something. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Jim. Really uh, appreciate that perspective. Um, so what do you think, uh, John Marsloff? Are these things likely to be effective that we've heard so far? It's a tough problem. I can tell you that. I don't think that the simple solutions of playing recordings uh, are going to be long-term effective. No. Uh, the birds will get used to whatever you're doing out there, and they will get around it. Um, the, the, the lasers definitely can disperse birds, and the lasers that have been tested in almond fields, for example, in California are more military-grade lasers, you wouldn't want uh, everybody running around with these things and shining them, but as part of a um, coordinated and uh, orchestrated uh, harassment campaign, I think it, it's part of the toolkit. It's not the only one by any means. And I think really you do need to do a variety of things and have a, have a um, all out assault to try to get birds to move to a different place. However, the last caller really hit the nail on the head. And that is what you need to do is control the subsidy. The reason the birds are there, one, is food. And um, that will go a long way to reducing their use of the area. There have been incentive programs elsewhere to um, incentivize uh, restaurant owners to keep their dumpsters closed. There are automatically closing dumpsters that people can, can use and things like that. And, and around the restaurants, if people are eating outside, we have a, a similar situation here. Uh, where a downtown street was closed, there's a roost of crows nearby. And certainly that those scraps that are left around, if they are unattended, really attract the birds in. So 
understanding what the birds are using, not how to get rid of them first. That's the most important long-term solution you can do. So figure that out, get rid of it, and the birds will follow suit. Uh, Vice Mayor Cisneros, I assume that will be part of the longer-term plan that you're putting together, too, is how to reduce the food source for these birds. Yes, absolutely. And, of course, we're constantly talking with the downtown business community. This is just as much of a concern to them as it is to any other resident. And, you know, Sunnyvale already has covered dumpsters. I'm actually looking at one right now. I, you know, I live across the street basically from the start of the main downtown area, but the food scraps just from the outdoor dining, it's critical to have that outdoor dining for the survival of our businesses, but it has created this externality. You can have a nice thing and then have a negative externality. Uh, so, so as we, I, I really appreciate the point, like there, there has to be a diversity of tactics here. And so once we kind of figure out that correct or, or the best combination of efforts then I think we're going to see the reduction in crows that we're looking to have. Um, And and that's just going to be a continual conversation, you know, trial and error. But, you know, the crows aren't going to be here for that much longer this year. So we're going to have time to, to be able to kind of set, put these pieces together and ultimately come up with a, you know, a, a plan of action for when the crows do return. Yeah. Uh, some comments to run through here. Kind of some sweet ones. Pete tweets, crows create amazing rhythms. One of my favorite pastimes is to go on walks to find the talkative crows and have them be the percussion while I play on my harmonica. Just saying, uh, Vice Mayor Cisneros, you got a lot of employees. Must be some harmonica players there in the, uh, in the city. Um, Everett writes on Facebook, I saw about 60 crows a few weeks back after bar hopping on South Murphy, Murphy Avenue. Felt like a scene out of Game of Thrones. Tivon writes, I've been talking about these crows for years. I watched a small flock by the house grow from 3 to 10 plus in a few short months. They're multiplying fast. John Simmet writes, another NIMBY attitude. While crows are being decimated by West Nile virus throughout the Midwest, they've found a fantastic safe haven here along the beautiful Pacific coast. Could we stop pushing away that which irritates us? Uh, Arlene from Berkeley, welcome to the show. Hi. I was just saying that I've done a couple of things with the crows once I attracted them and then I um, how did you attract them did you mean to did you have like a garden or something that yeah I had a sunflower garden which attracted them in great numbers and then there was they would hang out above it and in the morning they would just squawk up a storm (laughs) and you know just as the sun's coming up and I was just like oh my god what have I done and I moved the garden around because it took them about a year to find it and as I moved it around the property that kind of slowed them down and then I used the you know so pretty much what the professional said take care of the food source and then distract them from being there to find a new food source so that's pretty much what I did and for distraction I used their own call their distress call from my own mouth and especially the young ones it scared them to death they just took off immediately flew away Um, and Hey, Arlene, can you still, do you still remember what the distress call sounded like? Could you do it? (laughs) I mean, I find that terrifying. I would run too if I heard that. (laughs) Which one, too? 
Thank you so thank you so much for that, Arlene. <laughs> um, the, uh, let's uh, bring in one more caller, uh, Barati in Sunnyvale, one of your uh, constituents, perhaps. Uh, welcome to the show. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Barati. Oh, oh, hi. Hi, I'm Bharat. Uh, yeah, hi, I'm Bharat. Uh, I live in Sunnyvale. Actually, a couple of blocks from uh, downtown, and I've been noticing the crows over the last couple of years. Uh, I just have a couple of questions. So, is this a question? Is this just a case of people noticing it more? Because I'm originally from India, and you know we have crows all the time. So, and you know we don't really pay heed to them. But in the pandemic, given that people have stayed home for the last mm-hmm. couple of years, is this a question of case of people noticing it more? And the second thing was, I've noticed that the crows actually don't, they don't stay in downtown all the time. In fact, they only fly down to downtown in the evenings. Like they, there's actually, they fly down Matilda Avenue and turn right and they have a particular <laughs> path. Is, is, and I think, yeah, people have probably noticed that too. I'm just curious, is, is that a common thing? I and mean, is that why, you know, they just go there to roost and otherwise they're um, off doing other things during the day? That's such a good question. Uh, Barat, thank you uh, so much for that. Dan, Dan Brecky, on the question of noticing, um, you were actually reporting on this increase in crows before the pandemic, right? Yes. Yeah. And did people, was the idea then that maybe like we're able to see it because we all have phones now and we take, or like were there, were there theories for why people might be noticing it more in recent years than in the past? Well, look, I think objectively there has been an increase. And uh, for all the factors that um, uh, John and Alyssa have, have mentioned, I mean, there are, you know, we're seeing more crows around cities. And th- there's actually a, a guy named Adrian Cotter um, who wrote a really nice piece for Bay Nature magazine who called this crow forming. You know, uh, the plant, you know, the, the trees we plant and everything creates an ideal environment. Um, you know, I, I can't really account for what we notice and don't notice. I just saw a comment on Twitter from somebody who says they're in, in North Berkeley who said crows weren't here before a few months ago. Well, that crow sound we played earlier in the show is from North Berkeley. So I can tell you the crows have been here. Um, it, it's just something that I think various things, you know, get our attention. And when crows are right here, um, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to crows. And we actually have a, a group of crows that, that we sort of have befriended here in our neighborhood. And I, I'm sure some of my neighbors uh, don't appreciate it all that much, but they are not a an obtrusive presence. They are here. They respond to the, the typical threats that uh, crows respond to. If there is a hawk in the neighborhood, or we even had a, uh, a burrowing owl that showed up on the mm. block uh, a few months ago. And there were hundreds of crows that suddenly gathered in seemingly in response to this one diminutive little bird as if it was a threat but you know they were gone and that group hasn't returned yeah we actually had a crow everyone's got a crow story producer Blanca Torres noted earlier but uh, we had a crow fall dead right outside our house and we had hundreds of crows they were flying in from everywhere it was like a scene from Harry Potter and they all just like flew in from everywhere and then took turns flying over the dead bird it was one of the wildest things I have I have ever seen um, John Marsleff, I wanted to ask, are there ways, we've basically discussed how to get rid of birds. Like those are, that's been all the solutions. Yeah. Are there ways to coexist with crows, even large numbers of crows, uh, or no? 
Well, I think the last caller alluded to a bit of it. Uh, in other cultures, they do coexist with them. They celebrate their occurrence. They value having other life around them. And that's fine when it's, uh, you know, a, a few birds walking around doing their thing. When you have thousands of birds, uh, it becomes more challenging. But I think we can celebrate it. Our uh, roost here, a mile or so from my house, has about 10,000 crows every night. They do just come in for the night and they will be gone more or less as uh, summer comes on. But for example, one of the new businesses that's just starting up, they're preparing for their soft uh, launch is the crowbar. So they are celebrating that. They're using it to feature as part of the reason to come and have a drink uh, with them to, to look at the crow flight, the, the river of crows. That's quite amazing. And understanding the social behavior of these animals and understanding the, the beauty of their flight and, and even their calls, you know, they're not as harsh to everybody's ears as, as they are to some. So it, it's a split ticket, I would say, that a lot of people love crows, a lot of people hate crows. And so there will always be these conflicts and recognizing that and um, trying our best to appreciate it where it occurs uh, is, is just part of life. Uh, yeah. It's going to be increasingly part of our lives. And if Last, I may, oh, oh, go oh, ahead. oh, I'm sorry, if I may, uh, interesting on that, um, it was suggested to me recently, like, hey, what if this is, <clears throat> excuse me, a more intractable problem? Would it be possible to have a crow festival in Sunnyvale, perhaps call it Crowchella? <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of put Sunnyvale on the map right now. Like, I mean, what do we do to celebrate it? I'm like, interesting idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Thank you, Vice Mayor. of tactics. <laughs> I got to get one, one last comment in. Danielle writes, last summer, my then two-year-old twin daughters found a baby crow that had fallen out of the oak tree in our backyard before it knew how to fly. For two weeks, we checked on the baby multiple times a day and named it Bee. We watched its mother bring it food. Slowly but surely, the crow learned to fly, and it was the highlight of our summer. The crow still comes to visit. That's a nice story to end on. We've been talking about the crows of Sunnyvale and the Bay Area with Alyssa Cisneros, vice mayor of the city of Sunnyvale, John Marsliff, a wildlife biologist and a specialist in crow behavior at the University of Washington, and our own Dan Brecky, an editor and reporter here at KQED News. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.